0: Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.blchurch.tv. Tuesday, Christians are going to meet to pray and walk the streets of Clio, walk the sidewalks downtown, to pray over our city, just to call God for unity and to show a, a display of unity amongst the uh, body of Christ in our city, um, and so that uh, if and when the election happens, if people get upset about the results, there's not pandemonium in the streets, so we can unleash some angels over our, our region ahead of time. And uh, I just think it's awesome Anytime we can get together as a church, corporately with other believers in our area, to call on God to move and to work and bring unity. I think it's important. So tomorrow, you should see the announcement in the worship guide. All the details are there. If you're having a, a sign-making party tomorrow, or actually this afternoon, at around around 2.30 at Community Church of God. If you're able to come or interested, uh, either today or tomorrow, it'd be great to see you out there. I'll be there at the beginning to help you go with your prayer. And um, I know that'll be a special moment in our city. Um, also, uh, if I could have the Solas, Tim and Colleen, and Scott and Michelle, please stand. Church, I want to introduce to you your new family. They just completed their membership class. <clears throat> and welcome them to the church. Awesome. You got to it. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to... People feel that is, you know, I want to make this our home and and to do it permanently. And that's why we're so thankful for that. If you weren't able to attend our membership class and you feel like God is leading you to to make that commitment, we'll be having classes in the new year. Definitely want to encourage you to sign up for that. It's be really excited. Let's pray. Lord God, I just ask you right now to come and fill this place. God, your presence is everything, it's absolutely everything. And so often we're disconnected, disjointed. We bring our problems into this place. The enemy is able to put up so many walls of dis- distraction, discouragement, where we can barely focus. Like David was praying just a little bit ago God, come in and draw us in. Draw us, God. Bring us into the story. Bring us into the, the depth of the great romance. God, kindle our hearts again today. God, we come to meet with you. Jesus, we know you're alive and we know you reign on high. And When the Son of Man is lifted up, you will draw all people to yourself, God. So we lift you up, Jesus. We praise your name. Holy Spirit, reveal the Son and draw us to the throne this morning. We give you full freedom and full reign to have your way as well. Speak voice. We long to hear your voice. verses will be on the screen as well in the Hebrew Bible app. We've got a lot of ground to cover today, but I think this one moment in Israel's history, and as we apply it to the lives of believers every day and to the church in this moment, in this day and age, especially with all the things that we're facing, we need this message today. The body of Christ needs this message. We've been in this journey in the book of Exodus We're Still at Sinai, we we've been on the mountain with God. God's presence has come down, and while His presence is on the mountain, Israel decides a portion of them anyway decide hey, that that glory is not really what we had in mind. We want something else. They go to make a golden calf. While God is giving Moses all the instructions for the tabernacle, revealing really what He was going to do with and in and through the nation of Israel and revealing Jesus and the Messiah that would come. We've been looking at all the different instructions going on in the tabernacle, just the amazing truth and revelation that is in the the high priest's office and in the construction of this tabernacle. But as Israel is defecting from God, and God finishes speaking to Moses, he says, you need to go, go quickly, because they they turned from me. When Moses leaves the, the mountain with the Ten Commandments in tow, he smashes them at the foot of the mountain when he realizes what Israel's is doing. And the glory of God actually departs from the people. It departs. And the symbol of the covenant that God was making has been wrecked, has been destroyed. Moses overcome with fury at what the people were doing. Like, like couldn't you wait till after I'd come back from the mountain? Couldn't you wait just a little longer for you to see all that God Entailed for you. No, they couldn't wait. They went and they went their own way, and so Moses destroyed the covenant because what he was saying is: This God is so holy. This God, righteous and glorious. This God that wants to be your people, you are not worthy of Him. Amen. So I am wrecking this covenant. And he comes off the mountain in anger and fury at what the people were doing to his Lord. And he calls out to the, the rest that had not strayed away. And he says, Who will stand with me? Who will take a stand for the Lord and will put an end to this wickedness? And the Levites, the, the priesthood, stood up and said, We will stand. And they took on swords and they went and executed judgment against those that against the Lord. And Moses said, Because your heart was such for the Lord, you've now established yourselves as a permanent priesthood, and God goes, or Moses goes before God again, and he begins to uh, intercede for the people. He says, God, you know, we've taken a stand, would you please consider making us your people again, entering into covenant with us again, and God says, I will not stand to excuse the sin of the guilty, and he releases a curse, and all the ones they miss, God takes out for himself one, about 3,000 people that defected from the Lord died in a day because of the sin in can't. God sends his angel, And then God turns to Moses in Exodus chapter 33, and the Lord says to Moses, get going, you and your people, you brought up from the land of Egypt, go up to the land I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them, I will give this land to you and your descendants. I will send an angel before you to Wri out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I will go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you. For you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. When the people heard these stern words, they went into what? They went into more stop wearing your jewelry and fine clothes. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, you are a stubborn and rebellious people. I will travel with you for even a moment. I will destroy you. Remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. So from the time they left Mount Sinai, the Israelites wore no more jewelry or fine clothes. The relationship with Israel The relationship God had with Israel teetered on their obedience to the covenant. If they turned away, so would the blessing of God toward the nation. If they obeyed, the blessing of God would remain. The, The law that God was giving them was an instruction manual on how to keep the blessings of God on the nation. But those stone tablets were destroyed. The symbol of the covenant was destroyed, it was no longer. God now tells Israel, if I go with you, you'll just betray me again. You'll turn from me again. And I'm not sure I want to deal with that. I'm not sure I want to put my heart through that because, like those that have just paid for their sins, I would end up having to wipe you all out because it's only a matter of time before the rest turn on you again. You see, the blessing of God is. think about this. The people who didn't turn away, they didn't go worship false gods, they're now in a pretty dire predicament. They're they're now before the Lord and God is saying to them, you know, that they were thankful God was on their side, they were thankful God brought them through the Red Sea, but now they're facing the possibility of God forsaking them and not being there for them. You put yourself in their place. God, you just brought us through the Red Sea, you, you've done all these miraculous things, and now you said to go into the land, but you're not going to come with us, you're not going to bless us, you're going to forsake us, and in that moment you can understand why the entire nation went into mourning, when they realized in a single moment, the greatest treasure, the greatest privilege to know and be known by God could right now be taken from them, and they would have Like all the other nations of the world, lost, forsaken God. Exodus 33 7 11 says that it was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make requests request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand at the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. And as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. And when the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. But after Moses would return to the camp, he would return to the camp with the young man who assisted him, Joshua, the son of God, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Can you picture this? Here, Israel Israel unsure whether or not God is going. And so every time Moses goes out to meet with God and the pillar of cloud comes down, they go outside to see, is the cloud coming down today? Is the cloud going to come down? And when they see it, they, they bow before the Lord in honor and reverence because they know any moment, any day, the cloud can stop coming down. It's because God said, I don't know that I'm going with you. Aren't you glad, beloved, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have a promise he will never leave us or forsake us. It brings all together new meaning to this relationship we have with our Lord and Savior that ungrateful covenant we have through the cross and blood of Christ. We don't have to teeter on the edge of being a Nothing takes God by surprise. That's why He gave us His righteousness. He knows how frail and humble we are. Scripture says we have a high priest who knows our shortcomings. He was tempted in every way that we are, yet He was without sin. Nothing takes God by surprise. And rather than requiring us to rise up to His standard, He gave us His righteousness out of His grace and His mercy. verse 11 is so powerful. That the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. But there's something more that meets the eye in this passage. Something beyond what we're just reading. The highlight. is highlighting the nature of this prophet's relationship with God. And how the people of Israel solely were dependent on the relationship Moses had with the Almighty.
1: Everything they had with
0: God was teetering on Moses' relationship with with God that Moses was the one that was keeping God in the camp. Because he met with God face to face. And Moses, as he's regularly meeting with God face to face, has a conversation with God one day in verse 12. It says, One day Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you'll send with me. You've told me I, I know you by name, I look favorably on you. If that's true, if you look favorably on me, let me know your way so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. Remember, God's last words to the nation, the last words of God were told, is that he said, I need to think about it. I need to think about whether or not I'm going to go with you, whether or not I'm going to go with you into this land that I said I would give you, and the nation went into mourning. They were like like someone died. They had the most important relationship in their lives. Something died, and they went into mourning collectively as a nation. But now Moses asked God, "If not you going with us to do? We can't do this on our own. We can't go into this land. We can't acquire the blessings you set aside for us on our own If not us, then who? We can't accomplish this task. God, if it's not you, then tell us who you're going to send. But if it is you, let me know your ways so that I can continue to enjoy your favor. Let me know your heart. Let me know your ways beyond what I can see, beyond what I understand even now. Let me know you more deeply, more fully, God, so that I can enjoy your favor see, it's not enough just to simply know about God. Moses is saying, God, it's simply not enough just to know about you. I want to know. I want to understand. I want to be connected to your heart. I want you connected to my heart. I want more than just a religion, more than just an intellectual assent or understanding. God, I want something real, something tangible as he's trying and pouring his heart out to God God replies. In verse 14 it says, the Lord replied, I will personally go with you. And I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Can you imagine the relief in Moses' heart? I will personally go with you. Everything will be okay for you. And I will give you rest. Don't worry my friend, I have your back, I'm supporting you, I am for you. And Moses is hearing these words, but he's still not quite sure that God if you're what you're saying is true. So he asked for another confirmation. In, in verse 15, it says, Moses said, If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Like I I heard you, I heard what you said, but I really don't believe it yet. So so if you're really not going, don't don't make us leave this place because how Will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. No matter what we enjoy in this life, the only thing that matters is your presence, God. It's your presence. So this land that you're promising. This rich and abundant land, you can keep it if it doesn't come with your presence. If you're not going, we don't want to go. How will anyone know we are your people if you don't go with us? If you don't show up in the camp, if you don't demonstrate the glory among your people, God, if you're not going, we don't want to go. And I believe that today, beloved. This is one of the major reasons why the church, not our church, but the church collectively has lost its effectiveness in the world. We have substituted an idea for our reality. We've substituted an idea for reality. It's one thing to say, I think God is with me. It's altogether something different to see him work and move. It's one thing to read a Bible story and say, yeah, I think I believe that's true. It's another thing to believe it beyond a shadow of a doubt and experience its reality. And the church has become content merely talking about his presence and lost the desperation for his presence. We like talking about his presence, but we've lost the desperation for, his presence. The psalmist writes, better is one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. Moses cries out to the Lord, Lord your presence among us sets us apart. It's what makes us unique among all the people of the world and it's God's presence among the church of Jesus Christ that will set us apart from every other non-profit organization and world religion. It's his presence. If he is not with us, Then what difference does it make? His presence is everything. We've been praying in our prayer night gatherings, this very verse, when we gather together. We've been praying this over our new property. We're saying, God, thank you for the land. But honestly, if you're not going, you can keep it. It's your presence that we're after. If that's where you're going to be, that's where we want to be. If that's where you're going, if that's where you're going to take us, then. We want to go. If you're not calling, we'll stay right here in this school building. We'll stay. Because we want to be where you are. The land is a great gift, but God also gives you a gift. The land is just a bonus. The building is not the prize. He is the prize. The building is just a bonus. It's just brick and mortar, not causes presence of God. Verse 7. I will indeed do what you ask, for I will pray on you, and I know you by name. Remember, Moses said, God, I want to know you. I want to understand you more deeply than I do now. Remember, Moses was on the mountain in glory to begin with. Moses saw him at the burning bush. Moses did all those miracles in Egypt. Moses had regular fellowship and communication with God. But he said, God, I don't know you well enough. I don't know your heart enough. There's something in me that's just unsatisfied. I want to know you, God. I want to know that I have your favor. In verse 18, Moses says, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. That's what I want. Among anything else you can give, show me your glorious presence. Again, with the worship of the golden calf, the presence of God managed to weigh Now Moses is asking God to see it again. God, can we get another shot? Can we get another chance? He's crying out to the Lord God, Yahweh, I don't want to think. I believe you're with me. I want to know you are with me. I want to fully believe. I don't want this intellectual faith full of good stories and ideas that sound good at bedtime, God. I don't want to just think you are with me. I want an experiential faith that is going to transform and radically transition my life from what I am now to who you created me to be. I'm not content without your presence. If I found favor in you, then show me your glory. There are some believers walking through the room, the worship gathering, they're lit on fire, they come here passionately pursuing the presence of God. But some have acquired an intellectual faith over the years, and you've become content with that. And there's so much more God wants to show you. There's so much more of God's heart. He wants to reveal to your life. More of his glory he wants you to experience. And Psalm 34, verse 8, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's an invitation. Don't just think I am. Come come experience it. Experience my goodness. Come taste and see that the the Lord is good. Oh, the what? Oh, the joys for those who take refuge in him. There is joy that God has prepared for you. He is inviting you in to taste and see that the Lord is good. You can't describe your relationship with God as one filled with joy because you get to taste and see the goodness and glory of God. Now I can learn about any historical figure in a college course, but until I meet that one face to face, I cannot say that I know him. I can only say I know about them. And many of us read the Bible like we're reading a history book. We're learning a lot of facts and figures but our hearts have yet been awakened to the one the stories are about. We've yet to have that physical encounter. Beloved, I don't want to read about God on the scroll. I want to see his glory in my I thank God for the word and its revelation. I don't worship a book, I worship the one the book's about. Chapter 33, verse 19, God responds to Moses and he says, I will make all my goodness. All oh my goodness. Somebody say, "All oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Not oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name Yahweh before you. I will show you mercy to anyone I choose. I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one can see me and live. The Lord continued, look stand near me on this rock, and as my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock, I will cover you with my hand until I pass by, and then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. So God is getting ready to show up on the mountain again. And remember, he showed up before. His glorious presence, he showed up before, but this time all is goodness, All His glory is going to be revealed. God says, okay, I'm going to show you. But you cannot look into my face and live. I understand the heart of Moses. And the ache in his soul is crying out to the Lord God. I want the full picture. I want to know what I don't know. There's an ache in my heart and my soul. I can't shake the miracles Didn't do it. The plagues didn't do it. The Red Sea Crossing didn't do it. The manna didn't do it. Water from the rock didn't do it. The storm and catastrophe on Mount Sinai, the first time he came, didn't do it. The booming voice and the trumpet sound didn't do it. The only thing that's going to fill this hole in my heart and suit the ache of my soul is for to show me your glory. Hold nothing back. And God says, I am going to answer your prayer. I'm going to show you just can't look into my face. Isn't it interesting? The Bible says Moses spoke to the Lord face to faith. But yet Moses could not look into the face of God. He could still not look into the face of God. God's glory is beyond intent. The fullness of everything that he is is beyond anything we can contain, comprehend, or Rationally get our minds around. It is so intense, he is saying, that if you were to stare in the face, you would die. The angels in heaven can't even stare at the face of God. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2 says, attending him were mighty seraphim, having six wings, two with wings, they covered their what? Their faces, and two they covered their feet, and with two they flew." The angels that proclaim, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come, and they that's before the throne, even they cannot stare into the glorious face of the Lord. In Exodus 37, verse 9, the cherubim that cover the, the ark of God and the throne of God in heaven, it says, each face each other. They look down on the atonement cover with their wings spread above it. They protect it. Even the ones over the throne cannot look into the face of God. The intensity of his presence, the fullness of his glory is no small thing. And it is no small thing to look into the face of God. He lives in unapproachable light. The fullness of his glory is so intense, no created being can gaze upon it and survive. This is how glorious our God is. And in the process of preparing Moses for the glory he's about to see, God says, Chisel out two more stone tablets." because he was going to renew his covenant with his people. Why is this significant? It's because the presence is connected to covenant. The presence of God is connected to relationship with God. If you're not in covenant with God, you can't be connected to God. And our God is God a second chance. His love is greater than judgment, mercy, mercy, Triumphs over judgment, and there's one thing that God cannot resist, and that is a broken and repentant heart. Psalm 51, verse 17, David writes to of the Lord. He says, Your sacrifices of blood, of bulls, and goats is not what you require. He says, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. All the things we can offer God in this world, but one thing he cannot Reject is a broken, repentant heart—a heart that is yearning to be right with Him. And Moses was interceding for his people, the people were mourning the loss of His presence, and God says, "I will come to you again. I'll show up." In Exodus thirty-four, beginning in verse five, says the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with them, He called out His own name. Yahweh, I admit, I wish I was there on the mountain just to hear God declare his own name. What an awesome sight. What an amazing sound. I can't just, just put myself there. Yahweh, the Lord. The God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love through a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I don't excuse the guilty area, the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. And Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshipped. If you remember the first appearance on Sinai, as Moses sees the glory and the sound of the trumpets, he goes to the altar of sacrifice and begins offering sacrifices. But this time, he can't even get to the altar because he collapses on the ground. Because the fullness of God's glory has appeared. Even just from the rear, he can't contain it and he falls to the ground in worship. Something so overwhelming came over him with the revelation of his presence. He falls down and becomes completely undone. When was the last time so overcome by the reality of His presence, you fell down and became undone. When was the last time? When's the last time you felt so overcome by the presence of God that it just undid you? You couldn't hold it together. Second Chronicles five fourteen. The presence of God regularly entered the temple, and it says in verse 14 that when the presence of God filled the temple, the priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. When the glory cloud of God appeared in the temple, the priests stopped what they were doing. They couldn't continue. Why? Because when God shows up, what else is there to do? How can you keep doing same old, same old? When God shows up. But how many church services have we done same old, same old? Year after year after year after year. How many gatherings have we had where it's just same old, same old? When are we going to mourn the fact that God's presence is nowhere to be found? We even think about that. Did did I encounter God's presence today? Well, if I didn't, oh God, what's wrong? Where's my fasting and prayer and my weeping and my mourning because I'm not connected to the one who makes all the difference in the world? And we have believers who come into the gatherings of worship where God is supposed to be and they leave completely unchanged because they've not had an encounter with God, and they don't even stop to ask the question, where was he today? It's not even on the radar. A heart like Moses says, God, if you don't go with me, if you don't meet me, there's no point. Your presence is all that matters. Your presence is life, and that heart is missing from his church says, God, I have no agenda will sit right here until you show up. Because it's it. It's all that matters. I have no expectation. Just the one thing I ask, the one thing I seek is to see and experience your glory. But honestly, in this day, we're too concerned with our schedules the rest of the day to worry about the Lord. We still know that it's God To overcome the anxieties of this world, to press in until we encounter his presence. We're content with just learning the facts about the scripture and the Bible study and feeling good about ourselves. We don't mourn his presence. For Israel, it took a nation to mourn his presence, it took a prophet to intercede. For his presence to beg God to reveal his glory. And that mourning, that repentance moved God's heart enough to rekindle the covenant and bless the people with his presence again. Notice Moses didn't ask for miracles. He didn't come with requests. God, my, my hip's out of place again. i really just like you to touch me today. God, I blew my finances again. I spent too much money. I, I need you to help me with the bailout. God, i made a mess of my life. I'd really like you to come and do that. No, God, he just came and said, God, it's you. You're it. I don't want the land. I don't care about all the stuff that you can give me. I just want you. I just want your glory because your presence is better than life. Keep the land. Keep anything. I don't have no expectation. I just want one, you and God shows up? Moses worships. There's a powerful truth here for the people who haven't encountered or experienced the presence of God, maybe forever or in a long time. And in Psalm 22, the psalmist cries out and says, "My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away? When I groan for help every day, I call to you, but my God, you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice." there's no relief. How many of us have been in a season where we're calling out to God and it seems like he's a million miles away? The psalmist is crying out, where's your presence? But then he has a revelation. In verse 3 he says, yet you are holy and on the what? On the praises of Israel, on the praises of your people. The word enthroned means to inhabit. It means to come and saturate that space. To come and sit down as a king sits on his throne. As the people lift up worship, God's presence comes down and takes its place. He says, where have you gone? But well, oh, the revelation. When I come to you and I pursue you, then your presence comes down and he continues in verse 4 he says, our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted you and were never disgraced. What's he said? When they realized, God, it's in my worship that I can draw you near. Now I know how to access the very thing I need. It's in worship. It's in turning back again and rekindling my heart in desperation for your presence. When the people of God cry out to the Lord in worship, it's in that place he can be found. Not only does he passionately pursue his people who are pursuing him, but here in Exodus, God moves to reveal his glory. In Exodus 34, verse 9. Moses asks the Lord, If it's true, I found favor with you, then please travel with us. This is a stubborn, rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins. He's repent to the Lord. Claim us as your special possession. And the Lord replies, Listen. I'm making my covenant with you in the presence of all your people. And I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in the earth or in all the world in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. The miracle you need might be disconnected from you or far from you. Why? Because your heart has yet to pursue him in worship. You might get to be in that place of full abandon that says, God, I don't need the miracle. What I need is you. And as I lift my hands to you, what I know is to be true is that your presence will come down to me. And when God's presence is around, miracles just happen. Because he's a miracle God. You don't have to ask for a miracle. He's already going to do it. What we have to do is pursue his presence. going to sweat. Got me sweating. He didn't ask for miracles. He asked for the presence. He didn't ask for wealth or riches or power or anything. He asked simply, God, I just want to be yours. I just want to be yours. I want to be at your feet. I want you to go with me. I want to go with you. And God says, not only will I give you that favor, but you have seen nothing yet. You think my backside was good. Just wait. I'm going to do things in you and through you and around you. The world has never seen. Beloved, it's the hunger for his presence and the people of God that calls down the presence of God. And when his power is released, we'll see the miracle What we really need to do is seek his heart. To seek his heart. Often we're seeking the blessing, but beloved, we just need to seek his heart, and the blessing will come. We need to seek his presence in prayer and worship, to fall at his feet, to cry out in desperation a heartfelt declaration of his goodness God, you and you alone are good. You're worthy. You be exalted, O God, above the heavens. May your glory be above the earth. I lift you high above all things. I trust in you above all else. Nothing else matters, God, but your glory. Let the true longing of your soul be declared in the cries of your heart to the Lord. Let the words be proclaimed. Let his glory be proclaimed over and again in the Psalms. It says, extol me, my God, O King, and I will praise you forever and ever. Every day while I praise you, I'll declare your mighty acts. We're in the declarations of the glory of God among his people. We'll rant on Facebook about what's wrong in the world, but we're the rants about how good God is. Yeah. Our focus is in the wrong place. We're looking down, and we should be crying out, Up ah, to the Lord. There's a song on the radio by Natalie Grant years ago that says, I want the healer more than the healer. Catchy line, but do we? Do we really believe in things we sing in the songs? God, I trust you above all else, do we? God, I want you more than anything, do we? You're all I want, you're all I need. Is that true? Friendship or a romantic relationship it starts off really fun and really exciting. And everything's going great. And then as time goes on, you begin to notice something. You begin to notice that that person really is only calling you or getting your attention when they need something. And as you begin to pick up on this, it becomes more and more apparent, more aware that, oh, they want to hang out, but it's attached to a string. There's, there's something there. You begin to be discouraged by that, and then before long, you're like, No, I'm not. This is not a two way relationship, this is a one way relationship. And you start putting up that boundary that says, No, I'm not. I don't want to hang out today because you want to be loved in return. What happens when you stop giving them what they want, what they're asking for? Well, they stop talking. Why? Because they really didn't love you, they just wanted something. That what we do to the Lord, God. I want you to heal my family. Okay, I want you to give me a heart.
1: God, I want you to bless my
0: finances. Okay, I want you to give me your heart. God, I want to do. I want you to do all these things. Where, where are you, God? Where are you on that? When we have failed expectations, what do we do? Do we draw close to God, or do we start going to the something? after this moment, God is revealing His glory, He's answering their prayer. He begins to instruct Israel in the terms of the covenant, terms of their relationship, giving them the law and different commands: not to live like the people in the land in whom they're about to enter, but to live as a holy people unto the Lord. To guard and protect their hearts so that they don't stray away. Chapter thirty-four, verse nineteen, begins by saying, "The firstborn of every." Including the firstborn males from your herds and cattle and the flocks, sheep and goats. The firstborn donkey may be brought, brought back from the Lord by presenting a lamb or young goat in its place. But if you don't buy it back, you must it break its neck. However, you must buy back every firstborn son. No one may appear before me without an offering. He's giving them the law. Here's what you have to do. Year after year, week after week, month after month. Verse 21. He says, "You have six days each week for ordinary work, but on the seventh day." Stop working during the seasons of plowing, even during the seasons of plowing and harvest. The seventh day was the Sabbath. It was the day of rest. It was the day that was supposed to be dedicated to the worship of God. Can you you imagine a whole day where you were commanded not to do any work but you just worshipped God and dwelt in his presence? Where did that go? I mean, this was a whole nation. This wasn't just a family The weird family down at the end of the street. This was a whole people group. This is what they were supposed to do. And do it even during seasons of plowing and harvest, which means busyness is no excuse for forsaking the covenant of God. Verse 21, he says, you must honor the Sabbath even during plowing and harvest. Verse 26, he says, as the harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. Again, speaking of the tithe, these offerings that we're supposed to give, the first and the best part is what you bring to the house of the Lord when you come for worship. Don't come empty-handed. And then he says something so profound, so mind-bending, so beyond understanding that I think it's going to connect with us all deeply in our hearts. Here's what he says. Read this with me. He says, you must not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Okay, you're you a flow there, God. Like, put yourself in Israel's position. Okay. Offer my sons. Okay. Everyone comes three times. You're an offering. Okay. Don't come in. The okay. First part of my crops. Okay. I've got that. Check. 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 Don't cook young goat in as long as you know. What? Wait a minute. You lost me on that Here's what's interesting theologians point to this very verse as the beginning place of the kosher dietary. Their food to circle Well, what's interesting about this phrase, and it's repeated multiple times in scripture, but it's never connected to the food ordinances in the Old Testament. It's always connected to the offerings. It's always connected to the offerings. You see, the Jews, the Israel, Israelites, they had the letter of the law, but something that they struggled with time and time again. Jesus the religious leaders, he says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is so far from me. It's like you're saying all the right things, but your heart is disconnected, and since your heart's disconnected, you're kind of missing the point of what I'm saying. And we do this a lot too, we're like, okay, he said, don't do this check, don't do this check, don't do this check. All the while, we're really missing the point to what God is trying to convey. They read his words, but they did not read his heart, and this is how religion is born, What I was saying here is, he he's not saying he doesn't like boiled goat stew with cream sauce. That's not what God's saying. What I've given to bring blessing as a way to bring cursing upon yourself. Why? He wanted them to enjoy his presence. Honor me with the first part of your crops. Honor me with the first part of your herd. What's that mean? Honor me in your finances. Honor me by dedicating your firstborn son. What's he saying? Honor me in your family. See, Honor me with the Sabbath day. What does that mean? Honor me with your time and your week. If you put me first, your heart won't slip away. But if you come to my tabernacle empty-handed, you don't come with an offering. You start working on the Sabbath because it's busy. You stop giving of your first things. That's a strong indication your heart is nowhere to be back. Don't boil the baby goat in the mother's bed. Exodus 34, 11, it says, Listen carefully to everything I command you today, then I will go ahead of you. The covenant is tied to the presence. The covenant is tied to the relationship with God, giving him the very thing that he needs. He's given us his heart. He gave his life on the cross. He can't give us anything else. He's given us everything, and our response is to give our hearts in response to him. That's the covenant. I give you Jesus. You give me your heart, yep. and then my presence will go wherever you go. Yep. Exodus 34, 29 through 35. So Moses came down Sinai, carrying the two-stone tablets, with the terms of the covenant. He wasn't aware, of his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near. Him. But Moses called out to them, And asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over and he talked with them. And then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. Moses finished speaking with them and covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil and he came out until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions. Out the law was written. He would go in to speak with the Lord, he would copy down the instructions, he would come out and give the law to the people. But what's interesting is because of his time in the presence of God, his face began to glow. Beloved, There should be a glow about you if you're spending time in the presence of the Lord. There should be Many of us live depressed, defeated, negative, pessimistic lives, speaking cursing over our jobs, over our families, over our spouses, clinging to our hopeless outlook on life, putting our dependence in government and on society and our culture, and more than put dependence on God, and there's no glory in it. Not even a scholar. And The evidence is of a lack of time, this brother. His radiance should radiate off of us. His presence, there is love, there is joy, there is peace, there is gentleness, there is self-control, there is goodness, there is abiding hope. If we are dwelling in the presence of God, God's nature, His light should emanate right off of us. Will we be perfect? No, but His glow should be seen in our lives. There should be a glow about the church, and who else to glow than the ones who have the very presence of God living in them through their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? There should be a glow about it. And you might think, yeah, well, that was back then. God doesn't show up like that anymore. Moses had a special relationship with God. He was a, a friend. He spoke to God face-to-face. Beloved, you do you not know who you are? John 15, 15, Jesus said, I don't call you slaves any longer. A master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my what? You're my friend. shout it out. Friend. Do you believe it? Yeah. You're a friend of God. A master calls you a slave when you're indentured to him, but he's not calling you a slave. You're his friend. Why? Since I told you everything the fathers told me, do you know who you are? First Corinthians two ten. It says it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. For His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. A friend of God is one who God is able to tell His secrets to. God can tell Moses his secrets, and God wants to tell them to you. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything, including even the day we set aside for worship. The Sabbath day was the day of rest, a day for resting from the toil and trouble, enjoying the presence of the Lord. No work was to be done. The curse of working in the sweat of the brow was lifted for 24 hours. This was an ongoing obligation, and the moment Jesus rose from the dead, these die-hard Jews that praised God on Saturday began to worship on Sunday. There was a shift in understanding. And the rest that God wanted to give in Israel, they never got to experience because of how often they turned away from God and forsook the covenant. They didn't even get to settle the entire promised land God had given them because they didn't walk in obedience. Next to this 31.13, it says, Tell the people of Israel, Be careful to keep my Sabbath day for it's a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It's given so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. It was his presence among the people that made them holy to the Lord. Yet they forsook the covenant, his presence departed, and they did not get to enter into his rest. In Hebrews chapter 3 it says, To whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Was not it the people who disobeyed it? that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter into his rest. God has rest prepared for his people, but it's our unbelief, it's our disconnected hearts that keep us from entering into that rest. I know we're going on, but I want to drive this in today because there's something God has prepared for us as his people. Hebrews 4-7 says, so God set another time for entering into his rest. Are you excited about that? The rest he meant Israel didn't come, but there's another time to set aside for his rest. And that time is what? That time is what? Today. One more time. That time is? Today, today is the day of rest. right? Because today is the day of salvation. God this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart because his presence is in us. His rest can be experienced every. Day of our lives. Today is a new day. Yeah. And for the church of Jesus Christ, believers, if you have a relationship with God, in Matthew 18 20 it says, Where well, two or more are gathered in my name, I am Amen. among you. I'm right here among you. And it's not just a day of rest found in the place of worship, but it's every day. Anytime we gather together, God's rest can be experienced because His presence is revealed if ever believers gather to worship His name. Amen. And every gathering Amen. of the church should be at home for worship and praise. What might God have in store for people who gather on the Lord's Day? You set aside time, the first part of their week, their families, their finances, everything they are to come down It's a powerful, powerful reality. For Something that God just put on my heart we're going to begin to close and let we'll the worship team to come forward.
1: This is my favorite passage of Scripture, talking about the
0: presence of God. Because my heart belongs to see the Lord. My heart longs to see the glory of it. And God has given us his Holy Spirit to manifest his presence. So when we come together when we worship and walk in the Spirit, we get see glimpses of his glory. When, when we're praying for people at the altar and they become so overcome by the presence of God and they fall down on the ground, it's, it's crazy, it's weird, but it's altogether awesome at the same time when someone is... We encounter the presence of God and they're just undone emotionally because God is breaking this hardness off the heart and releasing uh, the very things they've been struggling with in their lives. When God uh, enters the room and begins to move among people and they and they get healed or they get touched by God, there, there's some crazy encounters that we can see. Why do those things happen? It's because God is his presence is intense. We should experience or expect intense things to happen. The Holy Spirit is, is not tame. He's often referred to like a wild goose. He's still a wild turkey. He's like, just going wherever he goes. It's crazy what happens. Acts chapter 4, they're praying and worshiping, and the Spirit falls and an earthquake, shakes the foundation of the room. When God shows up. Intense things happen. You get filled with the joy of the Lord and are laughing uncontrollably. You, get, you just get touched by God. Things are going to transpire. We should expect those things in the presence of the Lord. That's why he's given us the spirit, to encourage, to build up, to strengthen. But one day, beloved, we're going to get more than a glimpse. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, remember Moses, you can only see him from the rear. In 1 John 3, verse 2, it says, dear friends, we're already God's children. But he's not yet shown us what we like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. You and I, as the Church of Jesus Christ, one fullness of his presence, the magnitude of his glory, the fullness of his love, the fullness of his joy, the fullness of his peace, what would vaporize any other created being will be able to stand and enjoy for all eternity. This is a privilege that nothing in all creation gets to enjoy but we do. Why? Because we're the beloved of God. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Through forgiving our sin and filling us with the spirit of God. And I wonder if in the same age one of our major problems that we're holding on to promises for a later time and not believing for them. Today. God doesn't just want to reveal his glory in the future. He wants his children to dwell in his presence. God inhabits the praises of his people. The spirit is poured out to reveal the presence of God, and I believe God's presence I believe he wants to move in every us. The question I have is, are we going to be like Israel, And are we going to become desperate? Are we going to mourn his presence? Are we going to get to the place where we're like David, where we say, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'll become completely undignified and foolish in the eyes of men to worship my God because anything less will sacrifice a moment in his presence. I'm not going to hold back anymore. I'm going to let my heart break from what breaks the heart of God. I'm going to come in humility. I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to bow down. And I'm going to continue to shout, continue to praise, continue to press in until the cloud of glory fills the tent. I believe God wants to fill this place. I believe God wants to touch each and every one of us. He's ready to pour down. Or are we ready to trust Him? Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. You stand with me. We get ready to enter our time. Today, uh, response time, is a call to worship. A call to give God what He desires. It's your heart. I have a vision of one day, when we get to this time, that this front area of carpet will be filled with people bowing before the Lord, weeping, and crying out to God because He's so good. I have a vision of these seats being filled with people with their hands stretched out, shouting and praising to the Lord because His presence is among us and there's nothing else to be. That the glory of God descends upon us and his peace so fills the room that we're just awestruck and silent, unable to move because of his presence. That there's no longer any fear of what people may think, that those who are afraid to raise their hands would lift their hands, those that are afraid to pray out loud would, would pray out loud, those that are afraid to move out of their seats and and, and become mobile would, would get out of their seat. And, all the stuff that the religion and the enemy and, and fear has crippled the church with that our church will come alive and that we'd be like David, the heart of David. God, I'll become as undignified as I need to be. In the means encounter the me present. I'm not going to rely on the person next to me for my encounter. I'm going to come. I'm going to press him. God, I don't know you enough. There's a hole in my heart I can't fill. But the one thing I know that will fill that hole is if you show me your glory. Show me your glory, God. Fill me with your presence. Let it overwhelm and overshadow this place like a mighty river, mighty flood. Fill this place with your love, your joy, your peace, God. Fill us. Fill us. Make us hungry for it. Desperate for it. God, may we mourn your presence to be dissatisfied with our dissatisfaction. May we come hungry to be filled. Thirsty to be satisfied. Because your presence is greater than mine. moments our time together. I just encourage you to see. The Lord. If you want to come down and kneel, come and pray. If you want to come forward and raise your hands, come and do that. If you want to move about the auditorium, you're free to do that. If you have a hard time standing, you're welcome to sit. If you have a hard time sitting, you're welcome to stand. If you, if you want to raise your hands, you Pray out loud, call on God. If you aren't vocal, vocalize. If you don't know the song, just agree out loud with what the song is saying. But from now on, from this point forward, let's engage the presence. Let's call heaven down in this place. And let's just seek his presence. He's promised us to be a people of his presence. Let's seek it. Let's go after it. Let's, Let's show God we're hungry for it. We want it more than anything else. God, we want you. We don't need a miracle. We don't need a blessing. We don't, we don't need these seats filled. We don't need any of the things that our flesh would desire. God, we need you. We need you. Fall on us. Come. Move in this place. Raise dead hearts to life.